So you uh, probably heard this uh, before, it's kind of lame, but I rarely can find jokes that even fit with my messages, so uh, I'm going to seize this opportunity to uh, repeat this one. <clears throat> There's a guy, he's a man of faith, a real strong man of faith, and uh, uh, he, he's living in this town and it starts to rain very heavily and they say a flood's coming, you heard the joke before, uh, and being a man of faith, he prays, he says, Lord, what should I do? And, and the Lord uh, sends an angel and the angel says, trust in God, trust in the Lord and he will rescue you. I goes, yes! So everyone else is like booking it out of town because there's this flood coming. The flood starts to come and water starts to rise. The guy's finally got to get up on his, his roof, but he's trusting God. And then this lady in a rowboat comes by and says, Hey, sir, I got some room here. Want to jump in the boat and, and, and be rescued? He goes, Oh, no, I trust not in boats. My trust is in the Lord. Uh, the Lord's going to rescue me. She's kind of baffled, but she goes on down the stream. Waters continue to rise, come up to right around his feet, and some people in a motorboat come by, and, and they got room for one more. And they say, dude, get in the boat. We got room for one more. You know, you, you save yourself. And, and, and the guy goes, oh, no, 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 no. My trust is not in boats or in the wisdom of man. My trust is in the Lord. He's going to rescue me. The waters get up to the point where they're just, you know, he's got hardly any room to stand. The house is ready to go under. But just then a helicopter comes by overhead and uh, the pilot throws down a rope ladder and says, dude, climb on the ladder. There's still time. You can be saved. And the man says, no, to the very end, I, I'm unwavering in my faith. The Lord is going to rescue me. And just then his house collapses under the flood and he drowns. And the pilot is pretty puzzled by why he did that. So he, he dies, and he goes to the pearly gates, and he gets up there, and he's a little bit miffed because he says, he meets the Almighty, and says, you know, what's the deal here? I trusted in you. you your angel said you would rescue me. And the Lord, with a total sense of exasperation, says, dude, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. What more do you want? <laughs> Ba-boom, ching. Okay. We've been talking about faith, right? We've been talking about uh, faith and, and, and what it is and what it's not. Faith is about imagining a future, pressing towards the future, aligning your will with God, right? Hypostasis of the things that you anticipate. Faith is about trust and trustworthiness. It's not about talking yourself into believing something uh, that you otherwise wouldn't believe. It's not doing the, the, the line on the Wizard of Oz sort of thing. I do, I do, I do believe. It's not a psychological gimmick or anything of the sort. Uh, it's, it, it's at its core trust and trustworthiness. It's like saying I do in a marriage, right? It's about pledging your trustworthiness towards another and trusting that they're going to uh, walk trustworthy with you. Now, the question I want to ask this morning is this, and, and this is, I think, going to be the end of this series. We've been, we've been uh, you know, it's been impromptu the whole way. We haven't really planned this, but it, it seemed like something that God just put on our hearts to, to really wrestle through and, to, you know, we've been talking about faith and doubt and wrestling with God and all that. So what I want to wrestle with this morning... <clears throat> And a little forewarning, if you're, if you're rather new to Woodland Hills Church, uh, the first 15 minutes of this message may screw with your brain a little bit, may challenge some assumptions. Uh, just, work, just go with it. I promise we'll recover at the end. But if, it might be, we just believe in being really raw and honest here. Uh, if you've been here for a while, you're used to that. But uh, if you're new, this could be, just a forewarning, could mess with your head a little bit. This morning I want to talk about what, it, what does it mean to trust God? Faith is trust and trustworthiness. We understand, I think, pretty, pretty well what our end of the deal is, if you will. We're to walk trustworthy with God. We're to live a, a, a Jesus-looking life. We're, we're to have values that reflect the Father's heart. Okay, that's, that's what it is for us to be faithful. But what does it look like for God to be faithful? What's, what's God's end of the deal? What are the terms of the covenant from God's end? It is, I think, one of the most 
confusing and confused concepts in Christianity. We're trusting God. What are we trusting God for? What are the terms of the covenant? When two people get married, you know, salvation is like our marriage to God, okay? And, and when two people get married, they say, I do. But it really helps to know what you're signing up for, don't you think? Uh, what are you saying, I do, too? And so usually the preacher, before you say I do, will say, well, here's the terms. Do you promise to honor and to, to cherish and to leave all others and cleave to him or cleave to her only and, and, and to love till, till, for better or for worse, until death do you part and, and so on. And if you agree to those terms, you say I do. But you don't say I do if you don't know what you're signing up for. Well, at least you shouldn't. I, I heard recently of a wedding that was called off, like two days before the wedding, because uh, the husband decided to slip into the wedding vows something they hadn't agreed to on, and the bride caught it. Uh, he wanted to submit and obey, and he wanted a one-way deal, and she's like, well, I didn't sign up for that. And uh, you know, better to find that out ahead of time than the day after. You know, you, you got to say I do to something you both agree to. So what are we agreeing to? We know that our end is to walk faithful with, uh, as a covenant partner, but, but what does it mean to trust God? Trust God for what? In fact, the title of this message is Trusting for God Knows What. Because I think a lot of people are very confused about what we're supposed to trust God for. Over and over again, we read in the Bible things like this. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Trust in him to provide. Trust in him to protect. It's a repeated theme in the Bible. But what does that mean? And I just want to think out loud and be real here. We say we trust God for protection. But I bet most of us lock our doors at night. Don't you trust God? You're putting your trust in locks, huh? Alarm systems and burglar systems? Uh, what does it mean to trust God when we go out and buy ourselves our own locks and our own safety devices? And by the way, I'm for that. Okay, I'm not like saying you shouldn't do that. I'm just, I'm just trying to think out loud here. We, we want to trust God for protection and for provision. But I'm thinking most people here work for a living or depend on someone who works for a living. We, to trust God for provision does not mean he's just going to you know, throw down turkeys from heaven or, 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 or tomatoes or something like that. No, you, you, there's things you got to do on your end uh, to put yourself in a position where you, you get stuff. So there's more going on here. Just by our action, there's, we know that there's more going on here than simply trusting in God. There's other things that, that we need to do. We say we trust God for protection and for provision. But I bet a lot of people here have some form of insurance. If you can afford it, you have some kind of insurance. What up with that? Okay, you're supposed to be trusting in God. Now you got this insurance. In fact, what's really weird is that in insurance policies, you may have noticed, it's one of the only places now any longer where we have God used in our legal terminology. And unfortunately, it's, 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 uh, it refers to act of, acts of God. We take out insurance to protect, protect ourselves against acts of God, like your house coming under a flood or getting on fire or the earthquake. God gets blamed for all that. Acts of God. So we say we trust in God. But we take out insurance against God. Huh? There's something wrong with this picture. We're betting against God. Oh, I trust you, Lord, but just in case, I'm going to have this little insurance here, in case you get nasty someday. <laughs> See, there's, it's just very confusing. What are we trusting God for? We've, we've, we've said that, that, that faith is action, right? You, you know what a person really believes by how they act, not by what they say. It's, faith is, 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 is what we're willing to act on when acting counts. It's not psychological certainty, but it's confidence enough to act in a certain way. Now think about this. Judging by our action, okay, I'm asking the question, how is our faith distinct? Which is to say, how is our action distinct? 
But our action really is exactly the same as, as if we didn't believe in God. Let's be honest. I, I, we, we, buy, we, put, we lock our doors like everybody else, lock our windows like everybody else, take out insurance like everybody else. If, if we can afford it, we get retirement accounts just like everybody else. We don't go willy-nilly walking in, in, in a bad neighborhood at one in the morning all alone, uh, just like everybody else. If you have any kind of common sense, you don't do that. So our actions are the same on that level as everybody else. So what do we mean when we say that we are trusting God for, for provision and for protection? Aren't we admitting by our action that God is not the only variable here, uh, that, that trusting in God isn't in and of itself enough to guarantee any particular outcome? Just trying to say things out loud. What are we trusting God for? And it's an important question because not knowing the terms of our covenant can mess up your spiritual life, your brain, and sometimes your families in significant ways. I know a lot of people Dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of people who have been burned because they thought the terms of the covenant were something that I don't think were terms of the covenant. They were trusting God for promises that I don't think were promised them. Uh, like a lot of folks, they thought that they had this idea that, that if, if you just trust in God and have enough faith, well, then, 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 then you won't have to take out insurance, perhaps. God will make sure that floods never happen to your family and cancer never happens to your family. And nothing ever happens to your kids and, 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 and nothing ever happens to your job. You're never going to be out on the street. They thought that they could trust in God on those things. And then when those things didn't come through, they feel betrayed. Some have lost their faith. Trusting in the promises of God. Well, what happens when that doesn't, when it doesn't come through? I met a guy just a couple weeks ago visiting our church from a different state, and, and he came up, and, he, and I, I, there's such a sadness in him, and it was just so, I, I didn't quite know what to do in the little limited time that we had. But he said, I believe in Jesus, believe in the Bible, believe in God, but you know what? I will never, and then there was kind of this anger, I will never trust him again. Never trust him again. And I asked why, and what had happened was, was his, uh, several years earlier, uh, he had lost his oldest son, um, and uh, just talked about how, what a wonderful man this was, and, and how it was such an unjust thing that he died of this particular disease. Um, this man believed, apparently, that he, what he was signing up for when he said, I do, was that God would be faithful in protecting his kids. Um, and, and when that didn't come through, then, then he's, he's mad at God. So many people are in that position. I've, I've seen lives destroyed by that. Um, you know, and it's a scary world, and we would all like to have just this, you know, this, this magical formula. Okay, if I just hold on to this and just believe in this, and you know, I, I, this is my, 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 my insurance right here, that I can know that nothing bad is going to ever happen to my kids, and I can know that, that I'm going to be protected. And, and then there's preachers who will, who will feed that fear and tell you, well, you know, this, this sells. This sells pretty well. If you just believe this and do this, well, then you have that insurance and you have that protection. But they're not usually around to pick up the pieces when that doesn't come through. You see? And so that's why it's so important just to be honest with the questions here and, and, and to wrestle with this. The other thing is that the minute that you hold on to that, that, that belief, that, that, that what it means for me to have faith is that now God's going to protect me and provide for me and my kids are never going to be harmed, is now you have to indict everybody who has gone through the disaster. Because if your faith is the assurance that you're being protected, well, then they're not being protected. It must be a sign of lack of faith. And there's plenty of folks who will, who will say that. And I don't think you want to go there. I, I, I remember last year, right after the Haitian earthquake, 
devastated Port-au-Prince and several other surrounding areas. One and a half million people lost their homes. Uh, 300,000 died, many buried alive for days. It was just devastating. That's January 2010. And I remember watching CNN News about two nights after the earthquake hit. And the news cameras were just getting down there. And they found in this air, open area in Port-au-Prince, which is now the, uh, this tent city where a million people still are living in tents every day in unthinkable conditions. And they found these, these folks were out in this area and, and mo- a lot of them were just covered with rubble. They had just barely skipped their lives. These folks had no insurance. They had no homes now. They didn't know where the next drink of water was coming from, let alone what the next meal, where, where the next meal was coming from. Some of them, many of them, had loved ones who hadn't been found were lost somewhere in the rubble. Nightmare of nightmares. And yet these folks, these precious Haitians out there in in the, in the late night were praising God. One of the most beautiful and paradoxical things I've ever seen. They were singing praises to God. And the reporter asked the, this Haitian interpreter, what are they singing about? And the interpreter said, well, they're saying, our God is a faithful God. He's our strength and our refuge, our help in a time of trouble. The last thing you want to do is to say these people didn't have enough faith for protection. (laughs) These are the most faithful people on the planet. I can't even fathom that level of faith. Trusting in God's provision when there is no more provision, and yet they continue to praise him. They continue to to, to lift him up. But it raises the question once more, what are you trusting God for? Uh, What is the cash value of this this, uh, faith that we have? When we're not clear about the terms of the concept, it can come back to bite us in ways that maybe we don't even imagine. I think we pay a price for this, uh, this lack of clarity, in, in ways that we, we don't even notice. There's a young Bethel student, I've shared this a couple of years ago, but it's, it's worth repeating. A couple of years ago, uh, this just dear, precious, innocent uh, young lady, um, when I was a, a, a full-time professor at Bethel, and I got to know her over two years. She took a lot of my classes, and um, I, I knew that she was a missionary child, and as a missionary child in Latin America, at the age of nine, she was sexually molested by another missionary. And he had his hand slapped when it was discovered, and he was relocated by the missionary organization, and she was told that, you know, you need to forgive, even good people do bad things, but we don't need to be talking about this anymore. And so it was just kind of, that was it. So now, fast forward about 10 years, she's around 19 years old, and um, uh, at the end, end of a class, we, we, she wanted to talk about something, and, and what it was, was she was feeling guilty, as she often was. Had a tendency to beat herself up uh, over things. And in this case, the presenting issue was she didn't feel like she trusted God. Because I just don't have, all my friends trust God, they have this confidence, they have this exuberance, but I can't do that. What's wrong? I just have trouble trusting God. And so I said to her, well, you know, what is it that you're having trouble trusting God for? And she was kind of puzzled by that, like, wow, duh. Isn't that obvious? See, it's not obvious. We just don't think about it very much. Um, and I said, no, tell me, what, what are you having trouble trusting God for? And she goes, well, you know, I, we're supposed to trust God to, to provide for us, right? And I'm trusting God that he'll, he'll find me the right man to marry. And that's always like real high on the, on, on the list uh, for Bethel students. And, and, and I, 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 I'm trusting that God's going to give us a wonderful family and that we'll always be in the will of God and that we'll, we'll be carrying out his will together and that we'll be deeply in love. And I'm press, trusting God for, that he'll protect us. And the minute she said protection, I said, whoa, 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 wait, 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 one second. 
You're trusting God to protect you from things like, and again, she's baffled, like, protection. I said things like rape, sexual molestation. Because maybe you want to stop beating yourself up over that one because you know that trusting in him doesn't guarantee that that's not going to happen. If you think trusting in him means that, that, that you have to believe that that's not going to happen to you, well, if it happened to you when you were nine, it could happen to you when you're 19. That's why you want to lock your doors at night and you take other steps because there's more at play here than simply God's will. And, and she acted like I just blasphemed or something. Like, how dare... Trusting God's not enough? That sounds so impious. You know, it does. Even when I'm up here saying this, it sounds impious. Because there's this idea that, that to, to be a preacher or a pastor, you're supposed to be the cheerleader. You know, you're supposed to be like, come on, believe. You can do it. Yes, you can. Get that house and everybody's there. You can do it. Yes, you can. Go, Jesus. Go, Jesus. You know. And here I am kind of dismantling this whole thing. It sounds impious, but it's like I, I told a student, you were thinking it anyways. That's the problem. Just say it out loud. Get it out there on the table. It's, it's not impious. It's just being honest, being real. And she said, she said to me, and this is the most quoted verse, at least it used to be among Bethel University students when I was there. She goes, what about Jeremiah 29? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. What about that? Doesn't that mean I'm supposed to be trusting God for protection and all those other kind of things? And I said two things in response to, to her about this passage that I want to share here. I, I had her sit down. I said, okay, just, just listen to this. First of all, you got to look at the context. The con- whenever you're t- talking about any verse, look at the context. Yeah. When you're taking a verse out of context, you can make it mean anything. And so let's look at the verse right before this Jeremiah 29, 11, which is a wonderful verse. I love this verse. But let's look at it in context. And the verse before it says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you, speaking to Israel as a nation. Jeremiah is supposed to say this to the nation now. And fulfill my good promises to bring you back to this place. And then he goes on to say, for I know the plans I have for you. Okay, so this is a word to Israel as a nation. Important to keep that in mind. And it's a very specific word. Israel, you're going to be going into captivity for 70 years. I'm going to let that happen because you've been disobedient and this is your chastisement for 70 years. But after 70 years, I'm going to bring you back to this place because my plans for you aren't to harm you. This is a temporary thing. My plans for you are to prosper you and to give you a future in this land. All right? So we've got to be very careful about taking promises that were given to Israel, especially as a nation, and applying it to ourselves as individuals, especially since you're talking about the difference between an old covenant and the new covenant. In the old covenant, the, the, the Old Testament, God was working with these people where they were at to try to lead them along and train them and teach them. And part of what he was doing there was giving them a system, kind of a toddler system of immediate rewards and punishments. Obey me and I'll protect you and bless you. Disobey me and I'm not going to protect you and you're going to get slammed by these other nations. That was kind of the deal. It was immediate. That's why they were going into Babylon. But see, Paul tells us that that was part of a law. The law was there to lead us to Christ. And we're now not under the law. But that also means that that system of immediate rewards and punishment no longer applies to us. In fact, in the New Covenant, we sometimes read things that sound almost the opposite of this. Jesus says this, for example. Here's, here's what promises look like in the New Testament. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Okay, there's a promise. Because see, in this world you will have trouble. There's another promise. <laughs> we don't like that one very much. 
But take heart, take heart. I have overcome the world. Okay, here's the promises of God. You're going to have trouble. (laughs) Following me might get you crucified. If it happens to the master, it can happen to the servant. You, we're not, we don't have this system where, where if, if we walk with God, we're promised immediate blessings and, and a nice life and, and long life and protection and all that kind of stuff. No. Following Jesus, if anything, will make your life harder. It's not going to make your life easier. Uh, in this world, you will have trouble. Promise number one. Promise number two, you can still have peace. A peace to get you through that trouble. Because I have overcome the world. The promise of the New Testament is not that it gets us out of trouble like it was in the Old Testament. The, pro- the promise is that you'll get through the trouble with a peace that passes understanding. So be very careful about yanking out verses of the Old Testament and applying it to this day. Almost always when you see people misunderstanding the terms of the covenants because they keep going back to what they like about the Old Covenant. And trying to apply it, a thousand will fall by your left and a thousand by your right, but no harm will come to you, it says in Psalms, because your trust is in the Lord. That's why people think, well, then look at it. A plague will happen and everyone else will die, but I'm going to be okay because my trust is in the Lord. Well, you're taking it out of context and you're applying it in the wrong way. So the first thing about Jeremiah 29 is look at the context. Second thing, so important. And by the way, we'll be flushing this out a lot more in this series that will be coming up here on uh, Crap Happens. Uh, the second point is, is this. The Lord says, I know the plans I have for you. I know the plans. Now, a plan is not a script. A plan is not something that's preordained to say, I know the plans I have for you. It's not to say, this is what's going to have to happen to you. This is saying, here's what my intentions are towards you. But many times you'll find in the Bible that what God plans doesn't come to pass because People can plan too, and angels can plan too, and they can interfere with some of God's plans. You find that throughout the biblical record. In fact, the truth is that even this, this, this plan in Jeremiah 29 didn't pan out all that well. Think about it. Yeah, God says, yeah, yeah, I'll get you out of uh, Babylon. That happened. But this nice, wonderful future and all that stuff, it didn't really work out. Because they were still under that system of rewards uh, and, and, and punishment. And so within about 150 years, they were under Greek rule. And then they were under Roman rule. And then in 70 AD, the whole nation got squashed. What happened to Jeremiah 29? Well, it was a plan, not a script. You see, and so we've got to be very careful about knowing that it wasn't God's perfect plan for this Bethel University woman to get sexually molested when she was nine years old. God doesn't plan that kind of thing. You know, the, 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 demons plan that kind of thing, and people can plan that kind of thing. Sick missionaries can plan that kind of thing, but God doesn't plan that kind of thing. But we also need to know this, and we'll flesh this out more in that upcoming series as well. That though it, things happen that are not part of God's plan, God can still bring a plan to it. I, I said this on, on, on Twitter this week, and, and it just kind of came out just right. I'm going to say it again. Uh, can you put that up here? It's not that everything happens as part of God's plan. But the infinitely wise God has a plan for everything that happens. Chew on this. It's not that everything happens according to God's plan. But the infinitely wise God has a plan for everything that happens. So while we don't want to blame God for the crap that happens in our life, we also got to know that he's an artist of crap. He can take it. He brings a purpose to it. He brings a plan to it. He can, he can, he can bring something beautiful out of it. God's working at all times, in all situations, to bring good out of evil. And so we can know that we don't have to think that it was wasted or just gratuitous or something of the sort. But a plan is not a script. A plan is an intention. So we're back to square one, folks. What are we trusting God for? In, in, in this new covenant, we should envision and press towards everything that we believe to be God's will here and now. That's what faith is. 
It's, it's the hypostasis of things uh, anticipated, the elenkos of things we don't see, he, Hebrews 11.1. 1. But at the same time, we are not guaranteed that just by trusting in God that we're going to have protection and have pr provision and things are going to go hunky-dory. So what are we trusting God for? Let me just say two things very quickly. I, mean, I think they kind of generally su summarize the essence of the covenant uh, in the New Testament. Number one, we're to trust that God is never less than perfectly good and loving. Trust this. This is the center of our faith. When we say, I do, we, we, we trust that God looks like Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you see me, you see the Father. Trust that God looks like Jesus Christ. He loves like Jesus Christ. He sacrifices like Jesus Christ. God looks like Jesus Christ dying on the cross for the very people who are crucifying him, praying with his last breath, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's the heart of God. That's the essence of God. We're to trust that God is, as Norm said earlier, he's good all the time, and all the time is God is good. That's one cliche that I actually like. I don't like most of them, but that one, it's true. No matter what happens, we can have faith that God is good. In every situation, however, however crappy it may be, however terrible it may be, however painful it may be, however demonic it may be, trust that God is there. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He's always working for the good. He's always working to maximize the good and minimize the evil. However bad it is, it would be infinitely worse if God was not being faithful. He's present there. He's working there. He's faithful. This is why the Haitians were wise and godly, as they were out in the middle of this area, having just lost everything that life could possibly give them, and they're still singing, God is faithful, God is faithful. When we look at the world through the faithfulness of God, what happens is we begin to see how God pops up all over the place. But you don't see it if you're not looking for it. You know, James tells us that every good gift comes from the Father above. And, and that's not to say that people don't have good gifts and the angels don't have good gifts and whatever, but all, none of that goodness would have happened if God wasn't the originator of it. All that's dark and evil in this world ultimately goes to wills other than God, but all that's good and beautiful comes ultimately from the Father of lights, it says in James 1. And so if, if God was not being faithful in this world, it would be a veritable hell hole. Yes, and so now look around, however bad things are, however painful things are, and look with the eyes of faith, and you can see God breaking through. He's always working for the good. And in and, 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 and times of despair, if you're looking with the eyes of faith, you can begin to have hope. When it's all dark around you, if you're looking with the eyes of faith, you can, you, you can, you'll, you'll see some light because God is there. In times of just overwhelming hatred, if you're looking with the eyes of faith, you're going to find some love because God is there. And in this world, you will have trouble. That's a promise of God. There can be chaos. It can be just anxiety creating. But if you're looking with the eyes of faith, trusting in the character of God, you will find peace. The peace that passes. All understanding. So we trust that God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. God is never less than perfectly loving and perfectly good. And then secondly, and just as importantly, as I said last week, trust that love wins in the end. Love wins, praise God. Everything will ultimately be integrated into the headship of Christ. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to get that message. Because it's the ultimate vision, the ultimate hope of, of the New Testament. Paul uses in Ephesians 1, 9, and 10, as we taught last week, that, that weird word, anakephaleao, which means into the head of. <laughs> what, what, what Paul is saying is that there, there's coming a time where uh, when the kingdom has fully come, everything will be integrated into Christ's head. Christ's loving lordship will be the thread that weaves everything together. The common denominator of everything that is real will be the love of God. Praise God. And when that happens, Paul tells us everything will be harmonious in Christ. 
Everything will be one in Christ. There'll be no more discord. See, right now, we don't have the guarantees about much of anything, uh, except that we're going to have trouble. <laughs> yeah, we got that guarantee. That's about it. But, but, but the promise of God and, the, and, and the, the, the core of the New Testament faith is that it won't always be like this. We live in a war zone world where earthquakes can take away everything for an entire population like it did in Haiti. But it won't always be like that. That's the promise of God. We live in a world where nine-year-olds sometimes get sexually molested. But it won't always be like that. That's the promise of God. We live in a world where there, sometimes people will let you down, right? And, your body can let you down, right? And cancer can sometimes strike and kids can sometimes disappoint you and bad things can be done by you and to you. We live in a world that frankly can, can look very much like a hellhole. Though God is still at work in it and God is bringing good out of evil, but it, it's, a, it's a world of pain. But the promise of God is that it won't always be like this. It won't always be like that. There's coming a time where everything will be united together in Jesus Christ, praise God. Everything will be one in Jesus Christ. All discord gone, all war gone, all hatred gone, all divisions gone. Uh, have a, have, run that vision, run that vision, run that vision in your mind. That's what faith is. Have a vision for that. You can trust God for that. Everything will be woven together. So are you here this morning or listening to this message through some other means and you've been burned? I just want to pray over three or four groups of people here. Because some folks have been burned by thinking some things were promises that weren't. In fact, would you close your eyes and just sort of in your spirit pray however this applies to you and Holy Spirit to seal this message in our hearts right now. God, I pray for those who have been burned right now. Those who... There's a man several weeks ago who is not trusting in you now because his son died. I pray, Lord, you'd bring healing in his life. And I pray, Lord, you bring healing in every person's life who is hearing this message, who's in that category. Uh, Lord, it's such heart, hurt and disappointment and bewilderment. Father, bring healing to them. Father, there's others who I, I'm sure are going to be listening to this message, and they're still, they, I, I, there's, they live in the same scary world the rest of us do, and they just want to believe so badly that nothing bad will happen to them. And they're clinging to that, and I pray nothing bad does happen to them, but Father, I pray that you'd be growing them to the point where their security is not in the here and now. And they still lock their doors at night and buy insurance if they can afford it. But I pray, Lord, that you grow them to the point where their trust is in your character and in your future victory. And even in your present victory, you have overcome the world. But grow them, Lord. Grow them, Lord. Father, there's others here who I, I, will be hearing this message who, um, Lord, may maybe have trouble trusting in your character. Uh, maybe because they've been burned. They, they, they're... they're they're not confident that you are as beautiful as Jesus Christ, that there may be some kind of malicious streak in you. Lord, I just pray that you keep purifying our heart, purify their heart, purify their mind, purify their spirit to give them eyes to see you in all of your beauty, all of your beauty, Lord. Take away the deception. Reveal your beauty. And then, Father, I pray for all of us that you would just uh, put in us a sense of optimism and hope, knowing that you are victorious and it's just a matter of time before that is manifested. And as we look around the world and we see some good things happening and a lot of bad things happening and in our own personal lives, some good things maybe are happening and some trouble is also happening. Father, I just pray that, we, we, that, that, that looking, keeping our eyes fixed on you produces in us not despair but hope and confidence and optimism and enthusiasm and a passion to live out uh, the life you've called us to live as your faithful bride. In Jesus' name we pray and God's bride said...
Amen, amen, amen. The uh, altar's open. If you want to come forward and receive prayer for any need whatsoever, I encourage you to do that. God bless you guys. Go out and trust in the Lord. Amen.